yourself to your limits and, well, just generally being all that you could be in life. It was a long run, running and a very successful campaign, but everything eventually changes, even campaign slogans. So eventually, the army transitioned to a slogan that was called an army of one. And it painted a picture of the individual and what the individual could accomplish. It drew upon the American ideal of a rugged individualist and the ability to do it all yourself. Now, it was a relatively short-lived slogan, as in all reality, it wasn't a very army-ish slogan to begin with. Now, here's what I mean by that. The army isn't successful because of rugged individualism. The United States Army isn't successful because there are thousands of one-man armies running around. The United States Army is successful because the many individuals make up one army. At every level, the army is composed of teams and not merely individuals. The army is composed of several divisions. Each division is composed of several brigades. Each brigade is composed of several battalions. Each battalion is composed of several companies. Each company is composed of several platoons. Each platoon is composed of several squads. And each squad is composed of at least two teams. So while the individual is there, he is a member of something that is bigger than him. He's not an army of one, but he is an important member of one army. And there are so many times as Christians that we seek to be an army of one. We as Americans, we do have a very individualistic mindset. And in our culture of individuality, we develop the rugged individualist mindset about Christianity. And this mindset, it tells us that we really don't need one another. And we really don't have any responsibility to one another. And this mindset is wrong. As with soldiers, believers are all members of something that is bigger than just us. Rather than being an army of one, we are members of one army, the church. We're going to talk about that today. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. That's where we're going to start at. That's page 866. If you have a pew Bible, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. We're going to read Romans 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body... But all the same members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The title of the message this morning is Members of One Another. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and you are worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. And Lord, we want to know what your word has to say for us in our lives. We want to to be all that you want us to be, God. We want to take your word and apply it. We want to live it out, and God, we want to surrender to your word as the authority in all things. So, Father, today, begin even now to help us lay aside the cares of life that we've brought in. Father, begin to help us lay aside the objections we may bring to what your word has to say. Help us, God, right now to have humble hearts that are listening to your word and what you want for us uh, in this day. Father, let your word go forth with power. Let your word sink deep into our hearts. Let your word bring forth fruit into our lives. And Lord, let that be visible in the way that we live out the one another's that are given in your word. Help us, God, to understand what it means to be members of one another. And help us to take that and let us truly commit ourselves to doing all that you want us to do. 
Fill me with your spirit this morning and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want done. Be glorified in all things. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Why don't you may be seated. Now, Paul makes an interesting contrast in these two verses. There's the contrast between the individual and the group. But the idea is there of our being individuals. He speaks about being many members. He even uses the word individually in verse 5. And there is an individuality within being a Christian. But God deals with us as individuals because we have individual and unique needs. We have individual and unique struggles. We have individual and unique gifts. We have individual and unique abilities. We have individual and unique backgrounds. And we don't lose our uniqueness when we choose to follow Jesus. However, this individuality, it cannot lead us off to the path of the rugged individualist. Rugged individualism with believers, it gives us the idea that, that we are an army of one and we don't need one another. We don't need the church. We have no responsibilities to the church. We just kind of can do our own thing. But we really don't see this in Scripture at all. Right? Notice the different ways that Paul combats this mindset. Right? We are many members, but only in one body. We are also individually members of one another. Right? None of this is the picture of the rugged individualist going it alone. Me and Jesus don't need anyone else isn't something that anyone in Scripture ever utters or even thinks to consider. Everyone in Scripture that comes to Jesus... They then join with the church and become a part of what Jesus is doing in and through and for the church. Now, to emphasize this, Paul uses what is probably the most common and maybe even the most powerful metaphor for the church, and that is the body. Now, that's a, an easy thing for us to understand. Just as our human bodies are made up of many members that have different functions, it's still just one body. In a similar way, as individuals, we have individual functions, we have individual identities, but we still make up just one body. Just as our human bodies need all of the individual members to be functioning as they should so that we can be healthy and we can do all that we need to do, in the same way the church needs every individual member to be active and involved in doing their part so the church can be healthy and do all the things that Jesus wants us to do. Just as the individual members of our body need the body to survive, so we as individual members of the body of Christ need the body of Christ to remain spiritually healthy. There is unity within our diversity as a body. But the unity is based upon the fact that we are not our own. Vertically, we have been bought with a price. And because of that, we don't get to just choose what we're going to do. We belong to Jesus and we are to glorify Him with our body and our spirit. But horizontally, we, we belong to one another. We are members of one another. See, we are not an army of one because we are a part of something much bigger than ourselves. We are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And a good way to understand what we're talking about is that we are independently interdependent. Right? We are independent in our salvation and our relationship with Jesus. 
But we are interdependent in that we need one another to do all the things that Jesus expects us to do. Each one of us must have our own independent relationship with Jesus while we work with one another to do all the things that Jesus wants us to do. Both of these are absolutely necessary. Our individual responsibility and our interdependence to accomplish the will and the want and the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. And there are three ways that our independent interdependence is lived out. First is that we labor with one another. We labor with one another. Now look at verses 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use our ministry. He who teaches and teaching, he who exhorts and exhortation, he who gives liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, we're not going to get into the spiritual gifts. Because we don't have time for all of that today. But what I want you to notice is that he we're saved. We're part of this. And there's gifts that are given to us that are meant to be used. But given the context. These gifts have to be given so that we can be used together. Right. As we labor with one another. I mean, think about it. In the verses just before it, we are individually members of one another. In the verses just after it, we are to be devoted to one another with love. So in the verses before it, the verses after it, it deals with one another. Wouldn't it be strange if right in the middle he said, oh, but by the way, God has given you gifts. Now you don't need one another. Go off by yourself and use your gifts to accomplish the mission of Jesus. That would be a strange way to line this out. The better picture is that we are members of one another. We are gifted so that we can one another, we can use our gifts together to labor with one another. And as we do this, we do it because we are devoted to one another in love. There is always the idea that we are to do this together. We are given individual gifts, but we are meant to use those gifts as we labor with one another. But that's the way that Jesus intends it to be. And as we labor with one another, we advance the kingdom of God. And let me we're going to go all over now. So turn to first Corinthians chapter uh, three, it's page 871. First Corinthians three, verses five through nine, it gives us a great picture of being independently interdependent. Right in verse 5, Paul says, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Now, Paul started the church at Corinth. He was the first person to go into the spiritual darkness that was the city of Corinth with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was there about a year and a half. He preached the gospel. He founded a church. He established it. And then he left. Sometime later, the the man Apollos came and he also preached and he planted and he watered. And and through both of their ministries, what happened was there were some that were in Corinth at the time Paul wrote and they were saved and they were discipled under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But there were also some at the time that Paul wrote to to the city of Corinth, that they were saved and they were discipled under the ministry of Apollos. 
Right? And Paul is making the point that neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Right? What Paul is going to go on and say is he and Apollos, they're not on op- uh, opposition. Right? It's not Paul or Apollos. What he's saying is that Paul and Apollos, well, we really we work together. But in order for the church at Corinth to be all that God had intended it to be, it wasn't just Paul and it wasn't just Apollos. It took Paul and Apollos who labored together. Paul brings this up again in verse 8. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Right? So he who plants and he who waters, they're one. Right? So there's the, the interdependence. They are one together. But notice also that each one receives a reward based upon his own labor. Right? There is independent interdependence is seen in there. Now, what you take when you get this and you bring it down to, to the church in our day is that what it takes for our church to do all that God intends for it to do, to be all that God intends for it to be, is it takes all of us to do our part. Right? It takes all of us to do the things that God has gifted us to do, that God has called us to do. You know, the church of Jesus Christ has been commissioned by Jesus to lead people to follow Jesus. We are to go out to make disciples of all nations. That is the church's responsibility. That is the church's mission. And the church cannot do this unless we all work together to make it happen. And as we work together, we're doing our own individual labor and we receive rewards from this based upon how we have been faithful to do our own labor. And, and here's a, a good illustration to understand it. Think about the Billy Graham Crusades. Billy Graham is known as probably taking the gospel to more people in the world than anyone alive at this time. The Billy Graham Crusades, through those crusades, I don't know, no telling how many hundreds of thousands of people have heard the gospel and even been saved through the gospel. And it's easy to look at that and say, well, that's Billy Graham. He stood up and he proclaimed and he was on TV and all of that stuff. But what we forget is Billy Graham isn't the only person that labored to make those crusades happen. Right, months before Billy Graham ever sets foot in a city, representatives from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, they go into the town and they begin to recruit churches and people to be praying for the crusade that's coming. They recruit churches and people to be on hand at the altar, to work at the altar with those who come forward. They recruit churches and people to be on hand so that when people make a decision for Jesus, they can send them to a local church. Not only that, when the Billy Graham crusade hits the city, right, there are, there are sound people who set up the sound system, make sure it works. There are people who build the stages and set up the chairs. There are people who go around and, and make sure everything is set up. There are singers who sing. There are musicians who play. There are people who invite their friends. There are thousands of people that work to make sure a Billy Graham crusade is effective. So when we look at it in light of this, what we see is Billy Graham is absolutely going to receive a reward for all of his labor in promoting the gospel. But Billy Graham is not the only one that's going to receive award, a reward for what happened at the Billy Graham Crusades. Every person who joined the team and said, I'll pray for this crusade that's coming. 
they also receive a reward. Every person who set up a folding chair and tore down a folding chair, they will receive a reward for what happened at a Billy Graham crusade. Every person who handed out Cokes, every person who picked up trash, every person who played an instrument, every person who sang a song, every person who had anything to do with making that crusade successful, every one of them, every one of them receives a reward for what was done. And if any one of them had not done their part, the crusade couldn't have happened. Billy Graham just showing up, standing up in the middle of a town and saying, everybody gather around and listen to me preach. It wouldn't have been anything like it was. So there was independent. Billy had to do his part to pray, to study, and preach. People had to do their part to invite their friends to set up chairs, to pick up trash, to play the instruments, to sing the song. Independent. Interdependent. It took every one of them to make it happen. It took every one of them to make it successful. Without any one of them, it would not have went off in the way that it should have. In the same, in the same way, we are independently interdependent as a church. We are independent in that we all have our own job to do. My job is different than your job. Your job is different than my job. My job is not more important than yours. Your job is not more important than mine. It takes every one of them to make it happen. I have to do my part and you have to do your part individually. But in order for the church to be able to reach our community, for the church to be able to make a difference in the world around us, it can't be just me and it can't be just you. It has to be All of us. Independently, we all have to do our part. But for the church to lead our community to follow Jesus, we are interdependent on everybody doing what Jesus has saved us and gifted us to do. When we understand that we are independently interdependent, we labor together. We scatter the seed. We water the seed. God gives the increase, but it takes every one of us doing our part for the church to be all that Jesus intends for it to be. Not only do we labor with one another, but we complement one another. But now when I, when I talk about complimenting one another, I'm not saying we walk around and go, you're awesome. No, no, you're awesome. Right. And that's not what I mean. I mean, we can do that, but that's not the picture. The picture is that our skills and our gifts and our abilities and, and really even our weaknesses They complement one another so that we can accomplish what Jesus wants us to accomplish. Again, the mission of the church of Jesus Christ, it is to lead people to follow Jesus. Now, if that is not my responsibility as the pastor, it is our responsibility as followers of Jesus ourselves. You have just as much responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ to lead people to follow Jesus as I do. And our community... Our community is filled with people who do not know Jesus. And they are in desperate need of repenting of their sins and believing in Jesus Christ. If they do not, they will die and they will go to hell. Despite the fact there is an evangelical church on every corner in this community. They must know Jesus. And you and I, we have a responsibility to do everything within our power. To make it possible for them to come to know Jesus Christ. 
But the process doesn't stop the moment they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. For the goal of the follower of Jesus isn't just to believe in Jesus, but it is to become like Jesus. So as believers, we have a responsibility after someone is saved to help them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're not just to lead them to believe in Jesus, but lead them to follow Jesus in every area of their lives. And this takes every one of us to get it done. Right? We each share a part of the responsibility to disciple the unbelievers in our communities until they are fully devoted followers of Jesus. None of us can do it alone because individually we don't have the contacts to reach every person in our community. Individually, we don't have the time to disciple every person in our community. Individually, we don't have the personality to reach every person in our community. Individually, we don't have the gifts to reach every person in our community. None of us can do it alone. We are not equipped and gifted and able to do that. But what if we labored with one another? What if together with our varied contacts and our varied times and our varied gifts and our varied personalities, we came together and we labored with one another to reach and disciple the folks of our community? Well, when we do that, we form a beautiful body that works to different, that works together to make a difference in our community. And a lot of times what people say is if we only had someone in our church that could do this. But what if? What if? What if the need in our church, it wasn't for someone else who could do something. But it was for someone who was already gifted to do what they were supposed to do. I contend, I believe, that most churches in America... They have everyone they need to do what Jesus wants them to do at that particular time. And the need isn't necessarily so much, that isn't so much more gifted people as it is the gifted people to do what God has gifted them to do. Let me show you this. Turn to 1 Corinthians 4, just back a few pages. 1 Corinthians 1, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ. And I want to stop here and I don't have time to spend here, but I want to say. The church at Corinth had problems. If you've read the book of First Corinthians, you know, they were a troubled church with all kinds of sin and problems and issues and strife. But notice Paul's attitude towards the church. He was thankful for them. He was thankful for the church. When Paul wrote to churches, he was thankful for the church. You and I as believers, we ought to be thankful for the churches that we have. But he goes on. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and knowledge. Now, the idea seems to be that they had been given all the spiritual gifts that were necessary for them to accomplish everything that Jesus wanted them to do. He especially mentions utterance and knowledge, the speaking gifts, talking about going out, sharing the gospel and people standing up and preaching within the church. But whatever it took at this point for this church to reach out into their spiritually darkened culture, Jesus Christ had, had given them those gifts. Drop down to verse 7. 
so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Verse 7 further establishes they had all the gifts that were necessary. They, they came short in no gifts. Right? There was no lack among them of people who had the gifts necessary to reach people for Jesus Christ. They lived in a, in a culture that was dark. They lived in a city that was pagan. They lived among a people that did not care about the Lord Jesus Christ or the will or the word or the ways of God. But they could make a difference. They still had the ability to go out into the darkness, shine the light, see the lost saved, to see lives changed, to make a difference in their community. Because at this point, they had everything they needed. To do what needed to be done at the moment. I do contend that what's true for Corinth is true for most churches today. Most churches in America have everyone they need to do what God wants them to do in this moment. The problem is those who are gifted aren't serving. They are not laboring with one another. Instead, they are waiting on Others to do it. And there needs to be a shift from others are going to do it and we need to hire someone to come in to I'm gifted to make a difference in the world around me. I'm gifted and a part of a force that makes a difference in the world around me. How can I use the gifts that are given to me to shine the light in the darkness of the culture around me? But that's a shift in mindset. I think this picture does a great job of showing it, right? The consumer church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs, and to have professionals teach their children about God. What they say is, I go to church. But the other one is the missional church. It's a body of people sent on mission who gather in community for worship, community for encouragement, and the teaching from the Word in addition to what they are self-feeding themselves throughout the week. That they say is, I am the church. Now, what, what the picture calls consumer church is typically the model of the American church in our day. We come to church to hear preaching, to hear good singing, and then we, we do that, and then we, we leave. And we don't think any more about what we're supposed to do. And that's different than what it's supposed to be. Instead, we come here to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to be equipped so that we can then go out there and begin to serve Jesus and to make a difference in the world around us. The consumer church is not the model that we find in Scripture. It is not what Jesus envisions when he talks about a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Jesus, he died for the church. He gave gifts to the church. I mean, supernatural gifts. He fills members of the church with His Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It lives within us. Does it make sense that Jesus would do all of that so that we could come, we could check a box, and then we could go on and never do anything else? We are given supernatural gifts to go and to make a difference in the world around us. Within the church, we are supposed to 
to consume and to contribute. We're to maintain a balance between those two. We need the church for encouragement, for strength. We need the church to be challenged from the word, to be strengthened in our spiritual lives, to to have fellowship with other believers who are on mission with us doing what we're trying to do. We need to be taught from God's word. We need people who will pray with us and pray for us. That's consuming. We need that. But at the same time, we are to be involved in serving and giving and helping and just generally being a part of what makes the church healthy and strong and making a difference in the world around us. That is contributing. When we are in balance, we consume and we contribute. When we're out of balance, we consume or we can contribute. I think some of the ways we can tell if we consume, if we're out of balance, in my experience, those who are out of balance in consuming, they often gripe and complain a lot. Because if all I'm doing is I'm just coming here to get some religious goods dispensed to me, to be fed. Well, I don't like that music. I didn't like that song. I don't like that Bible version. I don't like that kind of preaching. I think we stand too long. I think we sit too much. I think the altar calls too long. I think the sermon's too long. I think the sermon's too short. He yells too much. He talks too soft. Those rowing the boat, they don't have time to complain about the boat. When we're out of balance in consuming, we leave service and all we can do is think about all the stuff that was wrong. If you leave service and all you think about is all that was wrong, probably you're not a contributor to the life and the health of the church. If you're out of balance with contributing, you get burned out. You're doing everything that needs to be done. You're doing everything that every other body, everybody else should be doing. And so you're all burnt out. You're all expended doing things that you ought not be doing. And so we're, we're to maintain the balance of consume and contribute. That's part of the reason we've been given spiritual gifts. My spiritual gifts should help you in consuming and in contributing. Your spiritual gifts should help me in my consuming and my contributing because we're all in this together. It's not about the guy up front. It's not about the people back there. It's all of us. We are independently interdependent. We, we all need one another all the time. And when, when we're all consuming and when we're all contributing in the balance that we're supposed to, our gifts complement one another. Even our weaknesses complement one another. Right? Because there are areas that, that I'm weak in doing things. But guess what? Somebody out here is strong in the areas I'm weak at. And there's areas you're weak at. And guess what? I can be strong in those areas. And so when we consume and we contribute, we stay healthy and strong. And the church is able to go out and to make a difference in the world around us. When the church is firing on all cylinders, everybody consumes and contributes within the balance that's needed. We all work together to lead people to follow Jesus. Jesus has given us gifts individually that we're to use in laboring with one another so that we can help people come to know Jesus and begin to follow Jesus. And when we all do that, it complements. It becomes a beautiful body of no one does it all, but everyone is a part of what makes it all successful. Jesus meant for us to be a community of people 
working together to accomplish his mission in the world. Individuals working together to do his will independently, interdependent. And then finally, we strengthen one another. That our being independently interdependent isn't just so that we can work together to lead people to follow Jesus. Now, to be sure, that's a huge part of it. But that's not all of it. Since we're members of one another who are devoted to one another in love, we're also to be there to help one another when times get tough. In a perfect world, no one ever goes through hard times. In a perfect world, all marriages are perfect. In a perfect world, kids, even teenagers, always act exactly how they're supposed to. In a perfect world, jobs are wonderful and we always enjoy going in because there's never any strife or difficulties. In a perfect world, no one ever has financial troubles. And in a perfect world, no test results ever come back badly. But a perfect world isn't the world we have, is it? In the world we live in, marriages can be messy. Kids can rebel. We often hate our jobs. Finances can be a struggle. And test results do come back badly. So what do we do when that happens? Do we grope about it on social media? Do we turn to drugs or liquor to numb our pain? Do we isolate ourselves from the rest of the world and hope it just goes, goes away? Well, none of those are the right answer, obviously. Rather than doing any of those things, we're supposed to turn to those who are devoted to us in love. We're supposed to turn to those who are members of one another with us, who labor with us, who complement our strengths and our weaknesses, and who can be strong in the times when we are weak. We turn to our church family who can help us and strengthen us in the hard times of life. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 1. Just look at what Paul says in verse 8. And let it sink in. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our troubles which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened, Beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. Man, that's a bad day, right? Burdened above measure. It pictures carrying a load that is crushing you. Right? Not a heavy load, but a load that has overcome you, caused you to fall, and, and you are being squished under the weight of it, and you can't get out from it. The load that Paul was carrying at that time, the trouble that was came upon him was so bad that he, he despaired even of life. We had a sentence of death in ourselves. As far as Paul was concerned, they were going to die. What was going on was so bad that Paul felt he was being crushed by the trouble and this was it. He was not going to survive this one. You ever felt crushed by trouble in life? Have you ever thought, I just don't know if I can take another step? I don't know if I can stand up under the weight of this problem? I, I think this is probably going to end me. I just don't know if I can handle the pain, the agony, the stress, the, the whatever of it all. If you have, you understand where Paul was at in this time. How did they get out of a time where they despaired even of life? Well, look at verse 10. Last of verse 9 verse, and then verse 10. But we did it so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. Now, that's great. 
God delivered him. Right? And that's awesome. God can deliver us in those times. God does deliver us in those times. Paul said he, he did deliver, he does deliver, and he will deliver. How great is that? That our God is a God who can deliver us from these kind of moments. And if we just stop there, what we could say is, see, Paul had God and he had Jesus with him and he didn't need anybody else. I don't know what you're talking about to need one another. Oh, man. Look at verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given to many, by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many of the gift granted was was life. Here's what Paul's saying. God delivered them. God absolutely was the one that delivered them. But in verse 11, Paul delivered them because they were helping by praying for Paul. One of the reasons that God delivered Paul was that other Christians were praying for him. Now, Paul was a big believer in other people praying for him. Virtually all of his letters, he asked people to pray for him at one point or another. From this, we see that those prayers paid off. And one of the reasons that God delivered him was the prayers of the Corinthian believers and others. Now, let me ask this. Who here would say Paul wasn't praying for himself at this time? Would we say that? Paul's struggling Burdened beyond measure, above strength, that he despaired of life. He thinks he's going to die, but but he's not praying for himself. He's just, hey, sirrah, sirrah. Now, we wouldn't, Paul's life and letters would not bring us to that point. Paul was actively, certainly was actively praying for himself. And yet, from what Paul writes, under the inspiration of God, God did not deliver Paul because of Paul's prayers. Largely, God delivered Paul because of the prayers of the Corinthians and other believers. Paul needed them to be laboring together with him in prayer before God would deliver him. I've heard a lot of Christians say, well, if I have access to God, why do I need to get others to pray for me? This is the answer right here. I truly believe that one of the reasons Christians sometimes stay in difficult situations so long and they go through them so often, is that we refuse to ask others for help. We determine. We've got Jesus and I don't need nobody else. Just me and Jesus got our own thing. Now, we may not ask others because we think it shows weakness on our part to admit we have a struggle. Now, we may not ask others because we think it, it shows a lack of faith to admit that we feel that we're despairing even of life. But can I tell you what I think the number one reason really is? Here's what I think it is. Pride. We're too proud to admit that we need someone else to help us. We are too proud to say, I can't do it alone. And whatever the reason, when we try to be an island to ourselves, more often than not, we sink. Peter warns us about Satan as a roaring lion. When I think about Satan as a roaring lion, what I always think about are the mutual of Omaha nature shows my dad forced me to watch when I was a kid. And the lion would go after the wildebeest or the antelope. And which one did it get? The one in the middle of the pack 
or the one that strayed off by itself? The one that strayed off by itself. More often than not, when we try to be an island to ourselves, we sink. We drown. We're devoured by our enemy. God did not design us to be totally self-reliant. God did not design us to go through life by ourselves. Truth be told, God did not even design us to go through life with just me and Him, have our own thing going. He designed us to be independently interdependent. There are some trials you will not survive unless you enlist the aid of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Unless you admit your need, admit your weakness, and get them to cry out to God on your behalf. This is God's divine design for the church. Part of the ethos of the United States military is that we never leave a fallen comrade into the hands of an enemy. Soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines can go all out for a mission because they know that the guy next to them has their back no matter what. They're independently interdependent. Each one must do their individual job, but at the same time, they are dependent on one another to survive. That's how the church is meant to be. Each one of us should go all out on the mission that Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations because we know know there are people beside us who are devoted to us in love because we know that they are laboring together with us and we know that our gifts complement one another and we know that when I get weak, someone else can be strong and help carry me along the way. But before the church can be that way, You and I as individuals, we have to be that way. Before the church will ever be any of this stuff, you and I, we have to make that choice. You and I, individually, we determine whether or not we are members of one another. You and I, we determine whether or not we labor with one another. You and I, we determine whether or not Our gifts and abilities, strengths and weaknesses complement one another. You and I determine whether we're a church that strengthens one another or a church that shoots our own wounded. You and I, we determine whether we're devoted to one another in love. As an individual, you and I, we're born again into something bigger than us. We are born again into the church of Jesus Christ. When you look through history, the church is, has been, and continues to be the greatest force for good the world has ever known. There is nothing in the world like the church that can make a difference in a family, in a marriage, in a community, in a country, or even the world. But the church can only do it when we are independently interdependent, when we are members of one another. So the question you and I, we have to answer. Am I ready? Am I willing to give up my rugged individualism? Be interdependent with a group of people. And make an eternal difference in the world around me. The decisions that you and I make about this today, it'll determine what this church is able to do in our community.
and in our lives and in our world. Let's stand.